0: Welcome to Season of the Bitch, the political podcast reminding you to give your money to leftist women on Patreon. Yes, please do. Would really like that. Um, this episode we have Laura, Ambria, and, and Kellen. Ooh, ooh! Small little crew today because we have a not I me. Mean, it's not a small crew. We're a pretty fierce crew, but we have a bunch of guests. So, so many
1: guests. Cut it down. We're very excited about our guests. I'm super excited. Yes.
0: And uh, so we have uh, a real big life change going on for one of our hosts. Twas the night before Ambria starts grad school. <laughs>
1: Woohoo! Uh, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to be doing my first day. Well, it's orientation, but the orientation is intense. It's from like 9 to 5 every day. Uh, and I had to read a whole book uh, that was like That's 250 pages and, I don't know, like 100 pages in essays. Although somebody tried to convince me that I didn't actually need to read it. Um, (laughs) Classic. (laughs) I was telling somebody about it and she was like, oh, they probably don't really expect you to read all of that. (laughs) I feel like that's grad school in a nutshell, though. Like being told Uh, to read stuff that you just don't have time to read. Yes. I
0: can confirm.
1: I was, I just kind of looked at her and I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. They told me to read it. <laughs> Does not compute. Must follow directions. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, the people in charge sent me an email? I don't, what do you mean? Yes.
0: Well, we wish you the best of luck and mm-hmm. we know you're going to be crushing grad school's butt.
1: Yes, and won't have a butt when I'm done with it. That's right. Uh, uh, Forget your butt, grad uh, school. Leave it behind. uh, Kellen, are you? Kellen's not okay with that. Kellen (laughs) likes my grad school's butt. She's going to miss it.
2: (laughs) So true.
0: Damn it. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Um, So this week, we're going to be talking about intergenerational organizing. Mm Mm-hmm. We will have a roundtable discussion later in the show with a group of older women who are all in the DSA and have either been involved in leftism for a long time or have come to it somewhat recently. Side note: Please forgive us for the quality of the audio in that section. Um, there were four of us in a room, so it's not quite as cr- crisp as usual, but it's still going to be amazing. I swear, if some man comes on Twitter and tells <laughs> us that we need to fix our audio quality
2: in this episode, I am going to lose my mind.
1: <laughs> it's true. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be like, yes, yes thank, you. thank you, thank you so much for, for your telling helpful me. suggestion. Thank you so much. Yes. I had to make myself stop saying that online. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, thank you. And I was like, delete, delete, delete. (laughs) Like, like edit the comments to take out the thank yous. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Acknowledge. Yes.
0: And I really wanted to have this as an episode uh, for us for a couple of reasons. First, many socialist organizations and leftist organizations are run by the youths, um, the teen to 30-somethings, which is great. But there's also a whole bunch of wisdom that comes with age, particularly when it comes to politics and organizing. Additionally, my conservative parents have always had the kind of mentality that was like, you're only progressive because you're young. Just wait. You'll eventually be conservative. (laughs) Like there's some time bomb ticking in my brain that's going to be like, oh, wait, that's right. Meritocracy is actually real and we should tax the poor more than the rich. No. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm. Um, And finally, I came to DSA personally uh, through the national first, and then I found my local chapter after, and I went to a local planning meeting um, back when Buffalo DSA essentially consisted of like 10 people. And a group of four older women took me under their wing, and I've been so grateful for their companionship and mentorship,
1: and I really wanted to share that
0: experience with all of y'all.
1: Yeah, my dad always uh, loves to say This cliche, if you're young and not progressive, you don't have a heart, but if you're old and not conservative, you don't have a brain. (sighs) Oh my God. (laughs) I think it's something like that. That might not be the exact wording, but it's funny because last summer out in Ohio where my dad actually lives, I worked with Stoughton and Alice Lind and they moved there during the steel mill closings and they were representing workers um, to their union and to to the mills and then they never left the area. And Stoughton was part of the Freedom Schools in the summer of 64, among, yeah, among tons of other things. Like, um, he would go around, he drove around all the schools, um, and would like check them out and work with them on their curriculum and stuff. But now they're, they're like, they're damn near 90 uh, and they haven't wavered at all, nice. <laughs> you know, and their dedication to, to justice and, and all of their ideals. Um, but you know, something they talk about is seeing the dissolution of so many organizations that they had so much hope for. You know, they've watched unions get crushed, people fight each other, you know, organizations just dissolve under infighting. And I mean, that's partly infiltration from outside agitators, but it's also um, just organizational problems from within. Uh, And Stoughton's greatest worry seemed to be that young people aren't going to learn from the mistakes that were made just a handful of years ago. Mm. You know, he's like sort of living with the knowledge of all these things that went wrong and kind of just doesn't feel connected to what's coming now, you know, that we won't try to figure out ways to meet the same challenges that weren't overcome them. You know, we need new approaches. And I think he felt like it's bad that we failed to keep these movements really going, but... It's all much worse if the youth fall into all of the same problems without even trying to look to the past and find solutions to things that um, we know can happen Mm. that might interrupt our movements or make them fail.
2: Yeah, and I I think um, like in the spirit of this episode and our podcast more generally that's really focused on um, women – um, and women's experiences on the left. I think this is really important, especially because um, in virtually every mass movement, women have done the bulk of actual work, um, while men are often the most visible. And mm-hmm. um, thinking about sort of an example of that before we started recording, I remembered, um, I was thinking about the March on Washington as a really good example of this, um, of tensions between both female and male organizers, but also sort of intergenerational tensions. Um, And the March on Washington, and particularly the speaker lineup and and the speeches that were given, is often used as an illustration of intergenerational organizing tension. So probably most of y'all are familiar with John Lewis, who uh, worked with SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in the 60s. Uh, He's now um, a member of Congress from Georgia. He's led a really incredible life. Um, anyway, he was, I think, the youngest person who was going to speak at the March on Washington, and he had this, like, pretty radical speech planned out, um, and it was cut down right before he spoke. Basically, sort of older members of the movement told him what he was going to say was too radical, too sort of agitational, if that's a word. And a lot of the people in, in the leadership were members of the, um, SCLC, which is the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Um, so a sort of religiously organized a lot of black ministers and pastors. Martin Luther King was sort of the, the poster boy of the SCLC. Um, so sort of more conservative leaning, but still, I, it's probably important to note, total radicals by any definition used by the majority of white southerners at this point. Um, anyway, as dismaying for young activists as uh John Lewis's experience may have been, it's um also important to note that uh the only woman who spoke in the whole program was essentially just a warm-up act. Like the actual top speakers billing included John Lewis, but it, it included no women. Um and uh, a lot of people who have been involved in the civil rights movement and, and particularly in the, in the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom have looked back on that moment and talked about how somebody who probably should have been involved was a woman named Ella Baker. And she comes to mind as like a hugely important character in the civil rights movement. She was really important in organizing the SCLC. Um, and then as she kind of got tired of... SCLC's organizing strategy you know they weren't in in 1960 uh, they were not enthusiastic about the sit-in movement that was really challenging white supremacy in a really visible way and so she got together and as the sit-in movement was sort of spreading throughout the south particularly black college students being involved got together with people like John Lewis and as this older organizer who had already had a lot of experience um, in their early civil rights movement helped them create SNCC. And in fact, that new organization and and kind of the the way that it was butting heads with the SCLC uh, may have been why she wasn't invited to speak. Um, but anyway, the, the sort of the point is, is that she's one of the most important figures in the civil rights movement, um, particularly in terms of the the people who are doing the organizing work, not just giving the speeches. But a lot of like high school history classes don't even mention her. As a side note, Barbara Ransby, who is in Chicago, um, Ambria, I totally she's like very around, and I would recommend seeing if, you know, anybody's in Chicago, seeing if uh, she's got any speaking engagements coming up. She's written a great book on Ella Baker. And I think just to sort of continue on this line, Rosa Parks is probably like the most visible woman um, of the civil rights movement, but we don't know about her for her organizing experience, right? Like... We think of her as being like the old lady who is just her feet were tired and she didn't want to stand up on public transit. Right. But like years before the Montgomery bus boycott, which was in 1955, literally years before that, she was organizing to hold white men in Alabama who raped black women with near impunity to justice. Like that was that was like her passion. She was radicalized By the 1931 Scottsboro Boys trial, which we talked about in our rural organizing episode, like Mm. these, there's so many intergenerational connections, and oftentimes the, the connections when they're personified are personified by women. So it's so important because movements don't organically create space for women to speak and be heard. It's so important for us, the young people who care about stuff like this, to really lift up women's voices, whether they're you know, young, youngish organizers like us or more seasoned activists like the people that Laura talks to this episode. Yeah.
0: Wow. First of all, I just want to thank Kellen, resident historian,
1: <laughs> as always. Just like, no big deal. Just going to throw these dates out here. Um, me and Laura are like, here's uh, our feelings about it. And Kellen's like, oh, here I come with something actual. No,
3: y'all.
2: I took my orals exams. Like, I had to know this stuff and it hasn't left my brain yet. So I figure, like, before it does, gotta, gotta spread the word, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, we're glad you can spread it here. Um, Yeah, I totally think there's a real value to just listening to women who have gone through a crap ton in the past. One of the women who I speak with uh, talks about working on the Equal Rights Amendment campaign. Mm. Um, The ERA was slash is a proposed amendment to the United States Constitution designed to guarantee equal rights for all citizens, regardless of sex. It seeks to end the legal distinctions between men and women in terms of divorce, property, employment, and other matters. This amendment still hasn't passed. And as of 2014, <laughs> in regards to wage equality, the US ranks 65th in the world. Uh, um, yeah. Women from other countries literally cannot comprehend why the US has not <laughs> passed this law. And all this is to say that women in the left have really been fighting the good fight for a long, long-ass time. Mm-hmm. and. It is, you know, we're fighting a lot of the same same fights. And so it's best to listen to them and to listen to high schoolers and those who will be taking over after we're too damn old. Yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I
2: am so excited for y'all to hear not only from some amazing veteran organizers from Buffalo, um, but also from a particularly amazing student doing the work in her Texas high school. Y'all, y'all, and long live the dictatorship of the team. Yeah. Long live the dictatorship of the team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm here with Maria de la Cruz. She's uh, from Canyon High School in New Braunfels, Texas. Um, And they have just started up a new YDSA, Young Democratic Socialists of America chapter there. Um, And I brought Maria on the show so that she can tell us a little bit about that process and what it's been like. So, Maria, um, could you describe for us how you and your comrades decided to set up a
4: YDSA chapter? um yeah of course so um in the beginning i as individually knew that i wanted to have a leftist kind of democratic club at uh, canyon high school so about last year my junior year uh, my history teacher actually contacted me and told me that he would be interested in sponsoring a leftist club and i was so happy because um, that year we had tried to start a club or, um, YDSA, something like that, mm-hmm. but we never got a teacher who was willing to be a sponsor. Um, they were either too busy or, um, they just didn't really think like that was their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we finally got, uh, and his name is Mr. Woolick, and he's an amazing teacher. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, So over the summer, I contacted him, and I started just contacting people that I saw that would post kind of political uh, things that were on, like, liberal or leftist. So I just started messaging people and telling them, like, hey, I'm starting a club. I'm not really sure what the name is going to be or um, where we're going to go from it, but if you're interested um, in being part of it, that would be totally cool. So I contacted about... 40 people and like 20 of them were really interested and um out of those 20 there's actually three of them who um their names are nick dante jacob and they're all super um you know liberal democratic socialists and i already i looked online like what was the best organization for a leftist club and YDSA was the best one because they provide so many resources for um, the members and they walk you through it. And no other organization really does that or there's not really any um, big organizations. So, yeah, um, I knew, it like, there's a YAF at our school, uh, Young Americans for Freedom, mm-hmm. and YAF is a really big organization and there wasn't really anything like that um, for Uh, the leftists or left party. So um, I just thought that YDSA would be the best. And the three other uh, guys also thought that would be the best path to go. So we decided to go with that. And at our first meeting, um, everyone who showed up, we just kind of voted that we would go with YDSA.
2: That's awesome. Um, Congrats on making that happen. Another thing that we wanted to ask you is sort of your vision for the club, like what you see it doing both on campus and like maybe off campus as well.
4: Yeah. um, So I'm a really big visionary as a leader. I always, um, you know, I've gotten ever since I was younger that I dream too much and that (sighs) I expect too much from people. But um, with this club, I really do, I know we're making a really big change um, ever since we had our first meeting, um, It just felt like the start of something great. So what I think not only are we going to provide a safe place for uh, individuals to talk about politics and to explore um, you know different sides of what it means to be uh, liberal, especially a democratic socialist, Um, You know, a lot of times people are scared to say the word socialist and we Mm -hmm. want to erase that. We want for individuals who believe in what we do to be able to come out and say that, hey, we support this. So uh, especially in Canyon High School locally, we are going to do a lot of uh, things. For example, we want to do debates with uh, YAF because we want want teenagers, we want high schoolers to see that it's okay to have intellectual conversations Mm. with other people don't agree the same thing as you as long as you use your facts and you obviously stay tolerant Um, so we definitely do want to encourage the high schoolers at our school to get involved into politics because it's sad how so many of us are not using our right to vote because we simply just shrug it off as we don't care about politics so i was wondering if you could tell
2: me a little bit about how canyon high ydsa has been involved in the broader community so far
4: so we've been working a lot with the Democrats of Kama County. A lot of them are older, really passionate Democrats who really want to get teenagers involved into politics and get a lot of exposure.
5: Mm. We've
4: done DACA rallies with them to defend DACA. We did one downtown of Bromfels, So that was a really um, weird but amazing experience <laughs> because it's downtown of Braunfels. Um We actually had a few dreamers who came up to us and were so happy that we were out there um, showing support for them. We even had one dreamer who actually started crying because oh. she was so proud and so happy that people were actually um, supporting her and that she saw it in such a small conservative town like New um, So we just wanna show uh, our community that we're here and that as teenagers, we're um, willing to put ourselves out there and we're willing to let our voices be heard. So we also did an anti-fascist rally with uh, the Democrats of Kamal County. Um, we've also did a highway cleanup. So we're really getting involved in our community and giving back to it we want people to know that we are activists but we're also um a part of our community and we are willing to put ourselves out there and really do whatever it takes to get people involved even if we do have to be vulnerable ourselves
2: that's awesome um before we finish up I wanted to let everybody know um, that not only are you the creator of this awesome new club, but you're also student body president. Um, And I wanted to ask, uh, what's it been like for you to take on these leadership roles?
4: Um, It hasn't been super easy Mm -hmm. as a teenager of color, a woman of color um, coming from a super um, Mexican background. I've always been taught to Work hard for everything I have, and as long as you give it all you got, you're gonna accomplish your goals. So that's kind of how I've implemented um, my whole leadership style into what I do. Um, My sophomore year, I joined student council, and it was the best decision I ever made in my life. (laughs) Um, I met so many great people, and I met a new me—someone who I never thought I could be. Um, So you know, I just kept on getting involved. My parents always taught me to just get in there. And even if you feel uncomfortable, and you feel out of place, you shouldn't give up. And that's what I did. And till this day, you know, sometimes I feel out of place. And I feel a little bit weird because usually you don't see um, in my school, you don't really see a lot of uh, people of color being in the top positions. And Mm -hmm. it's disappointing, because I want my people to also be doing what I do, because not only is it super fun, but it's super beneficial to us. And really um, getting our voices out there that yes, people of color do also um, give back to our community and we can also really um, do whatever else people don't think we can do, even if just because from our background. So it has been, um, hasn't been easy. Um, You know, a lot of times people don't think you have what it takes to be where you are, but um, that's okay because I'm going to experience that my whole life, people aren't going to think I should be where I am or I don't deserve what I have, but as long as I know that I'm working hard for it, that's all that matters. Um, and being student body president, a lot of people were iffy about me starting um, the YDSA or even a democratic leftist club at school. But it's something that I owed not only to myself, but to the people at my school. And I wanted to not only give myself a voice, but give those people who thought that they didn't have a safe uh, place to speak about politics and show them that, hey, this is a club where you can speak your mind, where it's a safe space, and we're, we're willing to teach you whatever you need to be uh, taught. So um, it has been weird, and <laughs> I have felt a lot of times uncomfortable, but like I said, um, A lot of times you feel like you don't belong somewhere, but that's actually where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I honestly think right now is actually the best time to have introduced a club like this to Kangan High School and to New because it's been way overdue. So I think we're honestly doing the right thing. And so much is going on in uh, American politics that it's so essential for teenagers to get involved. And with this club, that's what we want to do. Even though people may think that democratic socialists are idealists and um, that we, are, we dream too big. Well, you can say all that, but America is a land for you to dream big. And I think that um, it's time for people to stop being cynical about politics. Being a dreamer and being someone who dreams big I think that's when you really know that you can get to places. And I think if everyone stops being cynical and if we all just come together and open our minds, we can really um, create something that has never happened before.
2: Oh, my gosh. If you are the future of the socialist movement, then I am i think we're going to be just fine in the end. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I think this is a good place to end the interview so Maria thank you so much for coming on season of the bitch it was a pleasure to have you on
4: thank you for having me we really appreciated um all of the members from King high school ydsa are so happy that you guys have invited us here and we hope that we can come back again <laughs>
1: We're also going to talk to a very special guest, Betty, who is five years old. I tried multiple times to get her to say that her name is Betty and that she's five years old, but she didn't. Um, (laughs) So I have to tell you that her name is Betty and she's five years old and she's going to tell us some jokes.
2: Long live the dictatorship of the child.
1: Yes. May we all wear crowns on our heads and play with only the toys they have deemed
0: Long may we, may we bow down to the stuffed animals and teacups and trains.
1: Can't wait till the kids are in charge. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Great. So somebody told me that you tell pretty good jokes. Did I hear that right? Um, yeah. What's your favorite one? Do you want to tell it? What do you
6: call a flying skunk? I don't know. A smellicopter.
1: <laughs> and you made that up yourself? Uh-huh. Wow, how many jokes have you written? I just made all of them up. Do you want to tell another one?
6: Um, what about the one about the owl?
1: Yeah, I really like that one.
6: What do you call an owl that really likes to dry? I don't know what. A towel.
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Would you say that's your most popular?
6: Uh-huh.
1: Are you thinking of any others?
6: What do you, What do you call a bunny that f- flip that, f- that hops upside down?
1: That hops upside down? I don't know.
6: A flo, a floppy. A floppy? A floppy?
1: A floppy. Oh, a floppy. (laughs) Or...
6: I know this sounds kind of weird, but... A (laughs) flonny.
1: I like that one because I think you're pretty funny. <laughs> We're having a fun time.
6: Let's keep making up more jokes while we say all of it.
1: Okay, what what other jokes can you think of?
6: What do you call a flower that doesn't have any? Dirt to grow in. I don't know what. Um, a... A, um... Dirtless bloom. A dirtless (laughs) bloom-o.
1: A dirtless bloom-o. Nice. When do you see flowers that are blooming without any dirt? What? (laughs) I was asking if you'd ever actually seen one. I wasn't telling a joke because I'm not as good at it as you were.
6: Um, I've seen one that was popping out of the middle of a square in the sidewalk. A seed fell in there and then it grew. Wow. it's a weed.
1: It's a weed? Not a beautiful flower?
6: Well, it looked green and pretty a little.
1: Oh, that's nice. do you tell jokes to your friends at school?
6: I haven't thought of any at school.
1: Oh, really? You mostly tell your jokes at home?
6: I can think of more jokes at home because there's more stuff to think of. Because there's more, a whole bunch of stuff in my living room to look at.
1: That helps you think of things? Uh huh. You should uh you should start telling your jokes at school, that's my advice to you. Because um,
6: Oh like, it makes
1: you very popular.
6: Oh like the jokes I already have.
1: Yeah, like take the jokes you already have and go to school and go up to somebody that you think is really cool and be like, Hey, I have a joke for you. Do you think you would try that? Yeah? You wouldn't be you wouldn't be too shy?
6: Well, I'm a little nervous.
1: But maybe you'll confront your nervous feelings and do it anyway?
6: i scare away my nervous feelings. <laughs> oh
1: yeah? Are you good at that? Uh huh. How do you scare away your nervous feelings?
6: Well, I don't really know, but I think singing a song to myself before I tell my jokes.
1: Do you have a particular song you like to sing? I like making
6: up... I like making up songs. Do you want to do one? I'm too shy to make went up in front of
1: the, the microphone. Okay, that's fine. If you think of more jokes, do you think you would like to come back and, and tell us more?
7: Um...
1: Like a different day?
6: Um...
1: Are you still trying to think of some right now?
6: I'm thinking of that... I'm thinking of that baby over there. The baby doll? Uh-huh.
1: You trying to think of a good baby joke?
6: Uh-huh. Like a baby, and milk joke. Like, like a baby that doesn't have milk or something. What do you call, what do you call a baby that flies? What? An eagless baby.
1: <laughs> An eagless baby. That's a pretty good off-the-cuff joke. All right. Well, you can go home and try to think of more jokes. And then would you come see us another day and tell us more? Uh-huh. Okay, great. Thank you, buddy.
6: I caught one more joke. Okay. Um. What do you call a bubble that doesn't have any air in it? What? A bowling bubble.
1: <laughs> okay. Thank you, buddy.
6: I can't wait for the people who are looking on their computers to hear my jokes.
0: So I'm here with some women from Buffalo DSA, and we're here to talk about our experiences as women on
5: the left. My name is Kate, and I have been involved in leftist activities since I was probably in high school, Um, but uh, growing up in a small town, that made me a very lonely person. And um, when I went to college, I became much more involved in a variety of activities. Um, have continued on with breaks for child rearing and career building. Um, but over the last 10 years, I've been really getting more and more engaged.
7: Hi, I'm Donna. And I think I first started really getting involved in politics, well, through my father, who was a union member. And I grew up in, um, in a small town that was basically very tight union organized. And um, so I've always been aware of it. But when I moved to San Francisco was, I think, the first time that I really saw a, a ma- you know, critical mass of people fighting for gay rights, reproductive rights gay and lesbian issues um, and, of course, anti-war demonstrations going on all over. So that was the beginning and I continue on. <laughs> uh, my, hi, my name is Sandy. Um,
3: I'm a relatively new activist on the left. I became woke with the um, Bernie Sanders campaign and um, with what he was all about. and I, um, I've always been, considered myself a feminist, but only, like, within the last two years have I become a socialist, activist.
0: Awesome. Um, we'll start with a question on how did you feel as a woman when you first started, um, whether that was more recently or... Um, whether that was a long time ago, did, did you feel as though your gender played a role in how you were treated or how you were engaged as an activist?
5: Uh, this is Kate. I think that I had some different types of role models and, um, what you were saying about your family, Donna, uh, really resonated with me. My mother was very active in a union and, um, When I was probably in junior high, early high school, uh, the union was threatening to strike. And many of the younger uh, members of the union were concerned legitimately about if they went on strike, how they would, you know, uh, survive with their families and everything. And um, my mother, I'll never forget this, she said, well, let me go first and let me get arrested. She goes, because I'm a little gray-haired librarian. She goes, and that's going to make for great optics if they arrest me. And that way you don't have to jeopardize your family. And that really stuck with me, is that somebody has to step up. And um, initially, when I um, was first uh, probably really politically active, was again in high school. Um, And I was in high school when Kent State happened. And I organized armbands. Um, it was a private Catholic school, so that went over like a lead balloon, and the principal came to me and talked to me and said, I understand what you're doing, I actually support what you're doing. He said, but right now is not the time to do it, and remember, you're going to outlive all these people who are trying to stop you. So I had kind of those two really strong people who said, you know, you can do it, be careful, but you can do it. when I went to college, uh, that's when I first ran into some pretty significant sexism, um, particularly in the McGovern campaign. <laughs> and um, we were all there to support students for McGovern. And yet the women were relegated to doing a lot of the clerical sign making, those mm-hmm. sorts of things, where the decisions were being made by a group of young men. Um, And we had to really elbow our way in and say, no, we're not just going to do that. You know, we're going to also be involved in organizing the protest, organizing the strikes, taking over the chapel, all sorts of things, because all of this was very intertwined with the um, anti-war movement. So, you know, from a very early age, I had some strong role models, but then I also realized real quickly that that was unusual. And... um, had to kind of stand up, and it was not always easy.
0: It's interesting that you say um, the that your mother said the thing about the optics because it's really relevant in terms of, I don't know if any of you saw the video of the police in St. Louis, mm. and they're bashing this older woman, yes. and they essentially trample her, and the, and, I mean all of the stuff they were doing was terrible. But in my mind, I thought the optics of that is really bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that's amazing that your mom had that insight.
5: Yeah, and that was back in the 60s. That's awesome. Yeah, and she was ready to go.
7: (laughs) I'm Donna, and and that's a great story. I it genetically. <laughs> yeah, that is a wonderful story, and 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 you know, um, I ran into the same thing when I uh, would go to these. You know, they'd have these uh, in San Francisco. They'd have these like meetings, and mm-hmm. and you know, all these people would be sitting on the floor, and all the guys would be sitting on the table, and mm. and then when there was work to do the guys would just walk away and the women were supposed to like clean up and do all the paperwork and this and that. And I thought, this doesn't even feel good. I'm not coming back to this. Because at the time, it was very uh, out there that, you know, women were trying to make headway just having basic rights. And then pretty soon after that was the ERA, Mm-hmm. So here's a weird thing that happened. I joined the ERA movement when I, was li- when I was living in Scottsdale, Arizona, because we only needed three states. And Arizona was one of the states. And I went to this house with these women, and I thought, oh, great, this is going to be fantastic. Well, what did I run into but a class struggle? Mm. I, lived in, I lived in Scottsdale, so I sort of belonged But I didn't go to the right college. I didn't actually go to college at all by that time. I couldn't go to college. I had to go out and work. So there was this whole class thing that went on. And and I thought, I have to fight for this on my own. So I did. And I just backed out. Thank you very much. But so that if you weren't running into one thing, it was something else. And so I like to think that, you know, um, we're coming together in a totally different way. My my colleagues are so eloquent. I don't have a good
3: story. Um, <laughs> That's I mean, fine. You don't have to. I mean, I will say this: that being a new out and proud leftist, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I have looked to three of the women sitting in this room as my inspiration, and um, I've never felt more welcome and accepted as a socialist feminist as I have in the last year since the current um, officers of DSA and the direction that DSA is going in now locally has occurred.
0: Awesome. And I feel that way absolutely as well about the three of you here. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to work with an organization that is predominantly made up of younger people. Where do you find that that works for you? Where do you feel frustrated with that? Or just how how
5: in general does that make you feel? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do. I, I enjoy the energy. Um, I enjoy the uh, enthusiasm. Um, I think that... What is different, perhaps, than in previous groups I may have been involved with is that I don't see the ageism um, that we have seen in other groups. When I was very young, your age or younger, you know, if an older person came in, you know, we were like yeah 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 whatever you know (laughs) we're the future we're going to change the world you know and everything and i see particularly with the dsa group um because that's what i'm primarily involved in is that there is a real sense of connectiveness um there's a sense of respect for different viewpoints um and I don't feel uh, diminished because I'm older and maybe I don't have quite the amount of time or what not to do um, other things. And when we march, I march a little slower than everybody else. But it's still, it's still okay. So I'm, I'm finding it very invigorating. I enjoy it. You guys are awesome.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. <clears throat> I, I think uh, what's happened to the DSA is... New, it's like new lifeblood. It's like you pulled up and you got a whole new, um, you know, set of standards, energy, and everybody Everybody is very welcoming. And, you know, each person in this room and most of the people in our group it, it has something to offer. And I think we have the ability to and the, the option and the opening to to give what we can give. That there are hardly any real tight expectations of us. Mm -hmm. Like if we can't do something, if we're busy or you know, there's a real flexible, uh, you know, arrangement. But there's also, you know, the young people are bringing certain kind of experience, and we bring a different kind of experience. And and I I love what everybody brings in to the to the room when we meet. It's grand, really. Everything that Donna and Kate have said, and
3: I'll only add this, I um, find that the younger members of DSA, the the young people, if anything, they're more accepting than some of the (laughs) older (laughs) members of DSA. And you've brought such a fresh perspective to the organization and you've been very accepting and I don't find the ageism either.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Same thing that not in this organization. Right. Others I belong to,
5: yes. Well I think there's an openness. Mm-hmm. I think there's an openness that DSA in Buffalo anyways has fostered. Mm-hmm. So that people can pretty much anyone can find their niche mm-hmm. and that's real important. And that has been missing. Because, you know, as Donna and I were saying, in earlier uh, leftist organizations, you were kind of told what you were going to be able to do. And there was sexism. Um, there was class struggle. Um, it was great to support, you know, people who were poor, but when they came and messed up your meeting, people weren't always happy about that. Things along these lines. Mm-hmm. And so I think, if anything, that's probably the strength of DSA right now. Awesome. Um, In Buffalo DSA, uh,
0: we just had elections in March of this past year, so there's new um, leadership, new chairs and stuff like that. Um, And kind of before that happened, before the Trump election, Buffalo DSA was much smaller Um, And I know a few of you have described what DSA was before Trump was elected, um, and kind of how it functioned.
5: Do you want to speak a little bit about that? I think any organization that's growing, whether it's DSA or any other group, whether it's DSA National or each of our chapters, um, goes through an evolutionary process, and I'm seeing that now with our group. Um, Some of the older members uh, liked a more traditional, if there's such a word, typical DSA, Mm -hmm. which was more academically oriented. As the uh, organization has grown locally, we are much more activist oriented, and I think that causes some concern for some people. Um, They don't want to lose that historical academic focus. Um, I think we can do both. I don't think one automatically totally. eliminates the other. Um, I do think that with the influx of new young people um, who are much less set in their ways, we're, we're seeing a more openness to different types of activities um, from the reading group to the socializing with socialists to the socialist feminist group and to our activism and collaboration. And that's something I don't think we ever saw previously with DSA, the fact that we're collaborating with Surge, we're collaborating with um, our local sheriff's uh, election groups, um, this, this is good, this is really good, because it just expands not only DSA's reach, but offers a much stronger um, community focus, and so we get to constantly interact with people coming from different organizations, so, so that's a real big difference
7: that I see. To add to what you're saying, I think of the young people, the millennials. I, I think of you as the Internet left. And I think you get a raw deal when people talk, you know, people our age might talk about you in the media or something, and, I, and if I ever hear anybody say anything, I say, sit down because I'm going to tell you what's <laughs> going on in my world. <laughs> and that's the whole point, that um, the Internet left is so much easier to organize. And that's what you're doing. You're doing this magnificent pulling together of all these coalitions. And I could have gone yesterday to like five different Hmm. rallies or marches or something. I know that people are out there doing what they can do, when they can do it. And it's reaching a, a mass of people. So... What, what you're doing online, even with things like this, is so important and crucial. So you have a whole different world that you're bringing in. And that's what I think the difference is. We were a very small sort of select group before, and I'm not sure what we really uh, accomplished. I mean, I'm not really, I don't want to put anything down. I'm just saying I'm not really sure. I used to ask myself, well, what are we doing? Because I would go home and work on my activism. Mm-hmm. and do my work online. And so when young people came into the DSA, I thought, oh, great, now we're going to be able to work together. And even if I'm work still working on my own on certain things, I feel that energy and that pull from all of you, and I know mm-hmm. that we're all working together because I'm not sitting at my computer all by myself anymore. Mm-hmm. It's great.
0: I personally have had some sexism and some issues within... DSA both locally and even, you know, at the National Convention. Um, And it seems to be a very particular type of sexism that comes from this, without a better term for it, old left, where it was these people who have this lineage tied to their activism and they think that that lineage grants them certain su- superiority um, and a certain way of being. And um, I just to give you know our listeners some background, at our first socialist feminist meeting, um, which all of us were there for, yeah. um, we decided we were going to put our fist in the air, every single time one of these people interrupted us because it was very obvious that this person was continuously interrupting women and not anyone else. And in fact, I had an interaction with them where they stood up for a man who was being interrupted uh, by me. <laughs> and um, and so I, I think... I think my understanding from previous conversations we've had is that narrative and that power of those voices was more prominent before. Um, And I feel as though there's a lot more solidarity. And I find when I'm in scenarios where the three of you or, you know, other women in the DSA aren't there, I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, oh, shit. Something's going to go down. (laughs) Um, And so... (laughs) I didn't know if, um, you know, without being too specific, if if you wanted to talk about your experience with that.
3: It the old left, there is some sex sexism, sexism, and like you said, lineage. They do see things from a different perspective. I don't even think they realize they're sexist. Mm.
5: But,
7: yes. Well, uh, is was it. Um, Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without a demand. And that's where, you know, we have to stand up for each other and let people know. Because because if we lack credibility, I mean I stood up to to, you know this person or one that person and it didn't matter what I was saying because Mm -hmm. that male, those men felt that I had no credibility, that's something that you give somebody. This is what we give each other in this room. We mm-hmm. all have credibility. It doesn't matter where you came from, how long you were doing this or that. You are credible just by who you are. And the fact that you're sitting in this room gives you credibility also. So, as Rebecca Solnit said, if I can quote someone else, credibility is a basic survival tool.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: And if you don't have credibility, those people can do intense damage to you psychologically. It's psychological abuse is what it is. Mm. And that's why as a group we need to stand up against it and help each other. Because yeah, the old left, they're bad news. But then but there's new there's there's younger people who belong to a different segment of the political spectrum who do the same thing. So totally. We need to mm-hmm. kind of get together and be a force to be reckoned with mm-hmm. and and demand that that they concede power to us.
0: Can I just interject really quickly and say when when some of the solidarity pieces that I find so so amazing is after one of the meetings when I had kind of a confrontation with one of these men I got a call from Sandy And Sandy just called me up and she's like, hey, Laura, I heard something happened. I'm going to she's like, she's like, I just want to check in on you and make sure you're okay." And what an amazing thing to have happen. And in general, I find that women do that for each other and that like I felt so uplifted and supported by that. And it, it was just an incredible experience to have. And I do feel there's so much of like we stand up for each other and we're here
5: for each other in that way. I like the way you phrased it with uh, credibility because it's absolutely true. We, get, we can get diminished, and I think we have to demand it, you know, and, and we saw this with the women's movement. We continue to see it in all sorts of feminist situations, and it's the same way with DSA. You know, there's, uh, at the convention, um, I realized I had left my buffalo bubble yeah, the, the Buffalo group, I think we are very intentionally open and we're really, it's not that we don't make mistakes, you know, this is not unicorns and rainbows and everything. But, yeah, I think people are, are really trying hard to make an organization that functions for everybody. Uh, convention was a real eye-opener, just as the Democratic National Convention was a real eye-opener, where Sandy and I were both delegates. Um if we don't demand it, we're not going to get it. And, and that's what it really boils down to. I, I find it ironic that locally the people who are having the hardest time with our transition uh, to a more forceful, more activist DSA um, tend to pull some stuff when Sandy and I aren't there. <laughs> And uh, so I think, you know, or or Donna. And so I I think that, um, you know, we're having an impact on folks, but we still have to make sure that it's not just a a few people, but that many people will stand up for the ability of everyone to be part of the organization and to have differences of opinion. To me, that seems like so mind-blowing that this has to be an issue. Um, But, yeah, we're not all going to think alike. We're not all going to agree on everything. But that doesn't mean that we stigmatize people for being not left enough or not left the right way.
0: Absolutely. It makes me think of how, you know, DSA brands itself as Big Tent. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that means, you know, a lot of different things, and I I do want to hear what you all think about that. Because I think some people some people's interpretation is that, to that is we're amenable to anyone. And I found that I don't go quite that far. And, you know, some of this sexism and some of this, um, you know, ability, ableism, and some of this, um, you know, whatever-ism you want to throw out there comes for me with a do you really want to be in dsa or do you really want to be in the left or are you really in the left when you're when you're dealing with this and of course you know everyone's on their own educational path you know i hope that we all are learning for our whole lives how to be the best person we can be um but you know i'm interested to hear from each of you what do you think of big tent and do you have any limits on that
7: I would just say that anybody who comes in who wants to push our society into, you know, having once again having a real solid social contract, having progressive, you know, humane policies, if anybody's willing to do that, that's what I would say, come Mm -hmm. on in. If you're coming in with your own little agenda because you want to push your little thing, is that what you know? Totally. I'm hearing? Then, then no, because because we have big things that we have to accomplish. We have to accomplish, um, you know, single payer health care for one thing. And and if you're not going to jump on all of the bandwagons, the the top three items, you know, let's just say uh, of the DSA goals, if that's not why you're there then you need to join your own or create your own little group to do that because that's option. You know that's an option too. And then tell us when you're doing it and we'll come out and support you. I mean, does that pretty, pretty much... Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I was going to say that
3: if, being a, a big tent and once you're there and you go to a couple meetings, I think by and large... People that aren't on board are going to weed themselves
5: out, Mm. in my opinion. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've seen that in other groups. You Mm -hmm. You know, a group says we're going to be X, Y, and Z, and then they focus on just X, and people say, okay, you know, that's fine, but I'm going to go do something else. And I guess the whole concept of intersectionality comes into play here in that as DSA, we we try to build a better socialist-oriented society, which deals with all the isms and is willing to address all the isms and is also able to look at what are the key issues for our community. Like you were saying, I mean, single-payer health. we came up with our you know, top five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I think you're right, Sandy. You know, these, this is what we're focused on. This is what we can do. Um, respecting everyone's personal uh, uh, world view but if you're not in tune with that then maybe there are other groups out there that would be more of a match and um, I think that has come across pretty clearly that we are a big tent we encourage everyone to to have a place to consider their own socialist uh, world view but that um, if you're coming in for your own ego, <laughs> your own ego uh, justification, uh, building, whatever, or you have your own little hidden agenda, um, that's probably not going to fly.
7: If it's about ego, that's not going to work because mm-hmm. we're a community, and community really doesn't have, I mean, if you're, if you're out in the community, you're doing everything for, you know, you, you're, you might have the same goals and you're doing the same thing, but, but it's not about you. It really isn't. Right,
5: it's not about one single person. No, no. No. Right. It's about about the community. It's about the effort. Yeah. And everyone contributing to their own best, Mm -hmm. uh, in their own best way. And um, when people come in and they are there to be, you know, the king or queen of DSA, that's that's just not going to fly. And I think we're big enough now so that... You know, when people do uh, start down that road that we basically are able to say, no, we're community. And that whole community and sense of um, being part of something bigger than yourself is is what really is going to give us longevity. We're not just going to be a, you know, another flash in the pan leftist group.
0: I'm realizing that all of you either have run for some sort of office or are running for some sort of office. Um, or some sort of position. If you, I just wanted to to kind of ask you about that experience because I do think, you know, especially in Buffalo, um, our city council has not had a woman on it, or like we, we it's so male dominated. Still, um, there are the DSA is male dominated, politics is male dominated. Um, how does or did it feel to be running in that way? Anything you'd like to share about that experience?
7: I could have... I, I was a, I was a, um, a legislative aide, so I got to know people in every block on the West Side Niagara District. And where that, there wasn't a block club, I started one. So I had hundreds of people that I worked with. I took 22,000 phone calls over a couple of years, and I had blast, and I loved the people. I ran for office... That was there was uh, 96 to 98, and then I ran for office in 99. and. Mazziello's yellows guys came over and offered me the endorsement for Democrat, the Democratic Party. Joel Giambra called me on the telephone and asked me if I wanted to be endorsed by the Republican Party too. So I got to have both, and it because at the time um, Joel Giambra was running for uh, county executive on the Republican line. So um, I said no. <laughs> I said I because w- I wasn't going to get involved with being told what to do after I had all this autonomy, working with all these people and calling the streets department and the, you know, I mean, all these departments and doing all these things for people. It was, uh, having autonomy was really important to me. So I said, thank you very much, but if the people want me, if they hire me, you know, that'd be great. These guys put up five people to run against me. (laughs) <laughs> I came in fourth. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious when I think about it, but it was heartbreaking yes. because there's so many people in the community that, you know, I had a 95-year-old man who lived over on Albany Street walking door-to-door for me. I mean, you've got to vote for that. I mean, I had people all ages, kids, you know. all. The, so it was very, you know, inspiring and wonderful. Um, but... The issue is, when you're running as a woman, you didn't, I didn't get any support from the Democratic Party. They did not want me to run, they didn't care about me, unless I did their bidding. So, and how they said it to me was, if you, if you support the mayor, we will support you. And I oh. said, I work for the people. The yeah. doesn't really have anything to do with it. Well, that was not the right thing to say. <laughs> so, so but, the, but that's what you're up against. And so you see the concessions that people have to make along the way and how they get to losing the reason why they started in the first place. So, anyway.
3: I have a few strikes against me running for office. I'm currently running for office. I am running against a fellow DSA member. I am a woman, <laughs> and I um, am running on a minor party line as opposed to the Democratic line, which I have chosen to become a member of the Green Party myself. I, they align with my views. I was a Democrat for 40 years, and it's not for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was a Bernie Sanders delegate as well, and after that experience that I had, Kate and I shared, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in um, Philadelphia, that made, made, I made up my mind that day that that was going to be my last experience as a Democrat um, so it, it, it's been difficult the race isn't over yet so I don't really want to go into totally. maybe come back to this at a yeah. later time yeah. to speak of how it all resolves but that's what
5: I'm up against now I think one of the things I admire about Sandy's campaign and why it's, it's a no brainer to support you is uh, because you're running not only as a green, but you're not afraid to say you're also a democratic socialist. Um, In that particular town, that's probably not going to win you. (laughs) But you never know. You never know. I mean, just uh, again, it goes back to that credibility and integrity. And, and being able to say, which I think both of you in your own ways have come very clear about, you know, this is, this is how I'm running. And the machines don't like that, mm-hmm. you know, they just don't like people who have a, a different kind of voice. Um, I have not run for political office. <laughs> um, I did run as a candidate for the MPC, I threw my hat in the ring way too late. <laughs> Um, and so I got a miserable showing. Um, what is the NPC? The national, uh, the national political um, committee, which is the kind of like the board of directors for DSA National. Uh, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it again. I might. Um, I think there's uh, something that we could share uh, with the national about how to really do grassroots local organizing that doesn't involve. Um, a lot of rules and regulations, but like I said, DSA is growing nationally, and we have to get through some some growing pains um, before we're ready to basically be a true impact on the national scene. Um, right now, I think we're we're still figuring how to do figuring out how to do that. Um, it's much easier on the local scene. Yeah, you know, we we can do this, and we do make our our voices heard. Um, so you know, um, in terms of my candidacy, um, you know, it—I didn't have a legacy. I didn't have a long—I <laughs> <laughs> didn't have a long resume that resonated with um, the various. Where was your pamphlet? Where was my pamphlet? Where, <laughs> what I found actually very disconcerting disconcerting about the DSA election, and this is going off track a little bit, but um, I was not really impressed with how the different groups organized themselves and promoted their own particular um, candidates. Um, I think that was not um, necessarily a bad thing for like-minded people to get together, but I think it very quickly devolved Mm-hmm. Into more of a clickish um, scenario. We're almost out of time, so I wanted to
0: just for fun, maybe if this is fun for you, <laughs> ask a question, um, a little more lighthearted, um, and I can even answer this myself too. Is what do you what
5: do you like about being a woman in the left? Of course I have something to say. <laughs> but, um, but that's where I get my energy from is when I connect, whether it's one-on-one, you know, calling you, reading your posts, things like that, um, I feel like, oh, there's other people out there like me, mm-hmm. and they're women, and they're committed, and we have each other's backs, and, and that's, that's very important because... For many many years i uh, I felt kind of alone in some of my thinking and was very careful who I shared it with mm-hmm. um, because it could have come back to to cause me serious problems so um so I think in that respect to the camaraderie the the sense of being part of a group where you're accepted for who you are and what you are is is really important and as a
7: woman it's particularly important i think shared values we have a social contract probably, yeah shared you know, values yeah you know, we mm-hmm. i know that i can say anything about um you know i and i also feel like we protect Younger women, because we want their reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. We want the things for them that we didn't have. We want to give them and make the world safer for them, because we know what it's like. And I think that shared, you know, that experience that we—that's what we bring in. And you know, one of the great things about having some some types of women—not all women, of course—but some types of women, women, of course, types of women and I find this in the DSA, that we are more nurturing and we bring that we bring that to the party and it makes it so much warmer and gentler and i think our presence calms things down mm-hmm. having all these people sitting in a room and we can just as you say step you know step up step back and those kinds of attitudes that we bring when people some young person some young woman who can walk in and has, gets a little scared or something we, we make them feel comfortable, sit down. How, how do you do? And whoever you are is okay. We don't care. We don't have any requirements, so that's a nice thing too but I, but I really like that the female value is there
3: in my former life <laughs> from before I was a, a socialist feminist um my role models were corporate feminists mm. and it is such a difference and as donna said i feel women on the left are more nurturing and they let's face it if we had a matriar- matriarchal am i saying mm-hmm. it correctly yes <laughs> um, society as opposed to a patriarchal society mm-hmm. we'd be a hell better off Here, <laughs> <laughs> here.
5: amen,
0: amen. Yeah. well thank you all so much for coming on season of the bitch <laughs> and we really value uh, everything you had to say thank you thank you Yay. yeah Well, that's it for this week's episode. You better catch us next week. We're going to be talking about uh, feminism in Marx. So if you thought this one was a little too close on the heartstrings, just wait until next week and we'll get real
1: academic for you. (laughs) And don't worry if you haven't read Marx. We actually understand absolutely everything about Marx and we can explain all of it and um, do it perfectly.
0: I want to have a pre caveat of next week also of like similar things to the tech. Like, if you're a Marx bro who's like, <laughs> you're like all up on your Marx knowledge, you're not allowed to really like be like, actually, that was on um, page 60 of the Grundrissa and not on page 140 of Capital. So, um, I um, think you
2: mean Capital Volume 2.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly we're not that's not we're not doing that
5: all right yep
1: follow us on twitter at season of the b if you have anything to email us especially if you are a woman or you are multiple women who have a band and you want us to feature your music please email us at season of the b just the letter b at gmail.com
2: yes send us your tunes
1: we want to hear them, and also, boys, send us your hashtag dish picks that on dish Twitter. Pick life, dude, we love the dish pics. Solicited dish pics. Yes. We are soliciting them, love and it. I think it's just telling that you've never heard the word solicited in front of dick pics. So keep that in mind too.
2: Yeah, but to be clear, we're soliciting dish pics.
1: Dish. <laughs> dish pictures of. Men washing dishes Dish or bits. clean dishes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that about does
2: it for this week.
1: Thanks, y'all. Bye, y'all. Love you. I love you so much. I love you. I love you.
6: I love
2: you. <laughs> Nailed it.